Does Cypher Trace mean that Monero's anonymity is now compromised? Not exactly. Here's what a few of the experts have to say about it. This episode is sponsored by NordVPN. I've been using NordVPN for years since it doesn't log your data, has over 5,300 super fast servers in 59 countries, and I can pay in my favorite cryptocurrency, Dash, which is important since I'm unbanked. Take back your online privacy. Sign up now with the promo code DCN and get 68% off, or just $3.71 per month, plus an additional month free. Go to nordvpn.org DCN or use the coupon code DCN. So in recent months, a company called CypherTrace came out and made the broad claim that they can trace Monero transactions. Now, Monero is known to be one of the cryptocurrencies with the highest focus on anonymity and a whole lot of usage in darknet markets or other kinds of context where that would be especially important. And of course, the announcement that, wow, we've cracked the encryption, it can all be traced, got a little bit of hype and play and a lot of people saying yes or no or whatever. So I decided to actually interview a whole bunch of people who know a whole lot more about this than me on their professional opinions of if this is actually a threat to Monero's anonymity or not and what kind of things can you do about it. First up is Francisco Cabanas of the Monero core team and his point is basically that this is mostly theater to scare some people into compliance. There's a little bit of truth to what was said as well but only in certain contexts of where you have a whole lot of extra data associated with a transaction. Uh, this is what he had to say. Okay, let me backtrack on this one again, because mm -hmm. first thing that I like to do is try to get an understanding of what chain analysis is. And you can pick mm -hmm. a simple coin like Bitcoin, mm -hmm. understand what they're doing and understand the theater and this both. Mm -hmm. Now, there are a couple of open source projects. One of them is called Graphene, mm -hmm. and the other one is called uh, BlockSci. And, and BlockSci is basically the basis of what these chain analysis companies do. Yeah. And you can download the code and you can play around with this stuff. You need a small blockchain to do it with. Basically, they build these transaction trees and you basically need a ton of RAM. You need enough RAM to store the entire blockchain in RAM. Mm -hmm. We're talking Bitcoin, for example. Yeah, that's a lot well, in of RAM. Bitcoin, you're looking at about half a terabyte, about a terabyte of RAM. I mean, you can get a super high-end motherboard today, I think, for a prosumer that would run something like that with that kind of RAM, but they typically use server clusters. Um, so that have like a couple of terabytes of RAM to run the, just to run the thing. And so then, because the databases are not optimized for doing this kind of chain analysis, they're optimized for making payments. Mm -hmm. So that's how it works. So now, if you have a lot of data points, you can then turn around and do chain analysis. A good example of mm -hmm. the claims that say someone like say Elliptic would make mm -hmm. is they take an example where someone has taken say 50 Bitcoins or 100 Bitcoins, broken them up into 1.1 Bitcoin sizes because that's what you need for Wasabi Wallet. Yeah. Split it all up, create all this massive transactions, run it through the Wasabi mixes and then reassemble the whole thing at the back end. Mm -hmm. And then they come out what they think is quote unquote the next step. Well, they did because once you look at the correlation points, it's a statistical analysis problem. You realize that the probability that this was recombined in the way that it happened is extremely low. So they mm -hmm. can really provide, you know, say a law enforcement say, well, yeah, this stuff at the end is basically the stuff at the beginning. That's where it works. Mm -hmm. Now, 
that doesn't make chain analysis companies a lot of money. Mm -hmm. So what they did is they built a theater around it for compliance purposes, where they claim that they can track the transactions and half of the stuff is just hit and miss. For example, you take transactions coming out of a, an exchange, a VISP, and then you say, well, okay, we can show that this ended up in some sanctioned domain or something. Sorry, uh, uh, output on a pawn site or whatever. Well, that's like saying people withdraw money from the bank and then 10 transactions later you have cocaine on it. Well, you know that, but the problem is who put the cocaine there? Mm -hmm. You don't have that answer. And it's the same problem with Bitcoin. So there's a lot of theater around it. Yeah. So now what happens when you try to do this thing on Monero? Okay, well, let's look at exactly, and I listened, there's actually a um, broadcast from uh, um, YouTube on this, where the interview with uh, two members of the Monero community, mm -hmm. uh, Saran Nother and uh, Justin Ironhofer, and they interviewed David Jensen for Sabatris. It was a really interesting interview. Mm -hmm. and, and he asked some really tough questions, and the guy evaded a lot of them, but he also provided a lot of information. And, and really what it comes down to is this. Um, if you throw enough data at it, mm -hmm. you could, in principle, get some kind of really weak signal when you have a really chop signal in, in, in Bitcoin. And, but it's not, it's such an edge case. And I'll explain, for example, the scenario. One classic scenario is where you have, let's say you have a, a, a ransomware attack. And let's say a thousand victims mm -hmm. or pay ransomware. And they all cooperate and they all tell the police law enforcement, all the details of their Monero transactions that they sent to this one group, and they then co coalesce the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, you might get some correlation out of the thing, even with the mixing, mm -hmm. especially if the other person doesn't really good, use good OPSEC, you might get something out of that, or some probability, reasonable probability out of it. But you need that thousand data points. If you've got two data points, it's not going to work. Yeah, of course. It's called the EI attack. So, I guess the, the, there is some element of truth in very small element of truth and a lot of theater. Mm -hmm. Now the IRS gets into the picture. Now there's one agency in the United States that can benefit from theater is the IRS. Yeah, you can spend a million dollars on theater and these companies will deliver that. And all they have to do is spook a couple of people that are reasonably sized to, to be pay. totally meticulous with taxes and they got them $2 million back. Yeah, of course. So, you know, the real return on that one and a half, one point two million or something they paid these companies could be phenomenal for the IRS because all they have to deliver is theater. And then yeah. the, the IRS is way ahead. Or they can catch an extraordinarily stupid person who did some really dumb things. Like, for example, he bought um, he bought an, he bought a certain amount of crypto. He tweeted about how much he had. And then he went and bought a yacht for about that exact same amount. And they just kind of combine and they're like, oh, and then they get this guy, and then everyone is scared. They're like, oh, they know all my transactions. They don't even need the crypto treat. Exactly. They don't even know need to do a crypto. All they have to do is a postal code audit. In Canada, it's a postal code audit. In the US, it would be a, a SIP code audit. Mm -hmm. If they know this person bought a yacht for $30 million, and there's no clear source of income declared to, to raise the $30 million, they know they need to audit the guy. Yeah. It's not complicated. You don't even have to need that. You know anything about it. I mean, Al Capone in the 1930s was called by the IRS. Mm -hmm. Totally cash. Yeah. So you don't even need a tweet. Yeah. They could do it. Yeah. So, so in reality, I think 
I think really the value is in theater in this one, if you are, uh, because that's an application where I think you're going to have real trouble getting anything realistic out of it. Mm -hmm. But I do think the IRS will get their money's worth. Yeah, it'll be worth it for them. Yes, that will be my argument on that. Next, Ruben Yap of Zcoin believes that the claims are probably exaggerated. It's hard to tell because there's not a lot of information. And it mostly works in a probabilistic way, as in you can't really know for sure if you've traced a transaction. You could just give a higher or lower degree of confidence, but it's probably more of an edge case kind of a thing. And this is what he had to say. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, uh, I followed the interview with um, mm -hmm. Sarang and Justin and their CEO, which I can't remember his name right now. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think there was really hard questions being asked. Um, Honestly, it, right now, it actually, ju just from, from that uh, conversation, mm -hmm. of course, what I've read is that they're using existing techniques that are already known uh, that, you know, Monero is not claiming to be perfect. It's still, mm -hmm. I mean, there's this whole series of breaking Monero and there are ways to kind of, you know, remove decoys to kind of narrow down the set that you have to look at. Uh, now, because Cybertrace does, claim that they have some additional magic sauce, um, but they do admit that, first of all, it's probabilistic. Like, you know, it's still not like 100%. They claim 90%, but even then when when probed, they didn't seem like that confident. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and then after that, I think the other thing was more of like, it seemed like it wasn't trivial to do it. You would need to really expand uh, a significant amount of computing power to to just do the the search trees, uh, like you mm -hmm. know, just to kind of narrow things down. I mean, that was just what I got from from the talk, and I think it was more. If I had to hazard a guess, it looked like. I guess it was a way to just like narrow things down, like, you know, and and especially if the guy made a mistake or was not using like a modern Monero transaction, then mm -hmm. yes, maybe de-anonymize. But because I think basically right now there aren't really any effective tools yet uh, for Monero or not that we know of. And I guess this, um, you know, Cyphertrace seems to be trying to combine all the existing research pulling from additional data sources, which then, uh, you know, might have a much higher chance in, in trying to find the, the real sender and stuff like that. But I don't think it's by any means like, oh yeah, Monero is broken or anything like that. More of like, this is a tool that can narrow stuff down uh, in Cyphertrace point of view to a high degree of probability. But just from listening to the interview, it didn't sound as bulletproof as they were selling it. I mean, that was my take on that yeah <laughs> yeah so it seems like they built on some real things but with not a hundred percent or not quite close to a hundred percent certainty and it's just a, a a good way a kind of slightly overhyped at this point but a good way of trying to narrow things down in certain cases so that probably means that if this is something that's useful in let's just say tracking down a major criminal or something where it's not just you're breaking every Monero transaction out there. You're, you kind of know exactly what you're looking for. You know, there's a big player who's probably moving this kind of amount of money and you kind of narrow things down through other things, you know, about them outside of the blockchain. And then you can kind of narrow down and maybe kind of figure out where he, where he's headed. Is that yeah. I mean, it? like, 
It's kind of like if you have several pieces of the jigsaw puzzle, this can like often perhaps possible additional pieces in the jigsaw puzzle. I mean, I think mm -hmm. it's important, right? I mean, uh, to be able to uh, like, you know, get additional, some additional information, even if it's probabilistic, uh, you mm -hmm. know, that can lead to to other, other things, right? Like, oh, like this possibly went into an exchange or something like that. So I... I think that it's not you. You cannot look at it as a tool in isolation, but it looks like where there is targets, uh, where there's like a targeted request, where there is uh, some additional information, like oh, they know like this maybe came from drugs, like you know they have like certain pieces of the puzzle already, and they want to add additional information or possibly find additional leads. That's where this tool may I think come become useful. Uh, of course, you know, as as a te technology develops um, and as computing power gets better, this might become better. But I think right now it's more of like, okay, we can do something rather than nothing. I think that's how I'm I'm kind of reading this Cypher Trace two currently. Yeah, it's kind yeah. of unfortunate because the during the interview, I mean. Sarang is like, you know, Monero's cryptographer. He knows like, you know, the ins and outs of this. And they brought the CEO and whenever he was like probed for a bit more, he was like, oh, I'm not the math guy. And I was like, you, you know, if you're going to go on the Monero talk and you have the cryptographer there, you should have come prepared. So I don't know if yeah, that was in should have brought the math guy. <laughs> yeah, I should have brought the math guy, which, which is, uh, I, I hear there's going to be a follow-up. I'm going to mm -hmm. see if there's going to be one, but... Yeah, I mean, that's my current take on things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And one thing you mentioned was that if they're using older Monero techniques, it could be easier. What exactly do you mean by that? Uh, I mean, of course, then, you know, the first few things where like there's no mixed ins and that, that gets used as, as a possible input. Then there's another one where, uh, where the selection of your decoys weren't that random, I think if I mm -hmm. understand correctly, where it was picking uh, like the most recent, it was picking 2.0, so like the input that was the most recent uh, is most likely the real one, right? I think they've already resolved that by changing the algorithm on that. So I mean, there's this whole this body of research that already, you know, has been disclosed uh, that shows ways that you can narrow down the stuff. I think... Yeah, I probably flood XMR is not one of them, but the one before that, which I can't remember the name, but basically, um, they're just using existing techniques to to just help narrow down, especially when they are older Monero transactions, which had some, uh, I would say, vulnerabilities in its privacy model. Then, yeah, yeah, and so what what that would mean is, does that mean that something mm -hmm. like CipherTrace, well, if Say I'm using Monero out of nowhere and I'm just using all the newest stuff. I'm just sending, it'd be difficult for them to try to crack that without extra information. However, if I used, if I have Monero transactions from like three, four years ago and they can go after those and more easily figure that out. Is that what you're saying? I mean, what I'm saying is that let's say like the transactions that were made before were probably much more vulnerable to this type of analysis than the transactions that you make today. Of course, yeah. uh, even if you're using it then and then moving it forward, I mean, it's a tree, right? You can have 
less anonymous, but once it starts going into the modern transactions, then then there's so much noise that's being created from that that maybe there's not much information that, that comes from it. I think it's more on a case-to-case basis. But I guess like the idea is that the older Monero transactions were a lot easier to kind of make some educated guesses about while the newer ones, uh, they have certain uh, things in place to mitigate that. Of course, I haven't, uh, you know, seen anything that that shows that this new mechanism is uh, mm-hmm. like foolproof. But so far, that hasn't. I think the basic idea is that, in my opinion, is that this model of like giving, like providing decoys to your transaction is not ideal in the long term. And I mean, even Monero people would say that. Um, you know, the ring signatures are the weakest part of their privacy model, right? Uh, mm-hmm. So, yes, you know, of course, it's one thing to just sweep it under the rug and say, oh, yes, it's known. Uh, I do think that that's a real risk, mm-hmm. uh, which is why, like, kind of why we at Zcoin are adopting a different type of privacy model. But it's not as if Monero are just sitting on their laurels and they're also working on additional stuff to increase their ring size, which is still going to be a decoy-based model, but it makes it less likely or much more computationally intensive to do the kind of analysis that may de-anonymize someone. So I think, yeah, I probably should stop there. (laughs) Alex Romanoff of Beam was more disappointed in the lack of actual technical discussion and just more emphasis on the hype on the actual situation. He seems to think that these claims are not necessarily a big threat, but they do sort of uh, illuminate behavioral issues behind privacy that basically people who don't use privacy technology the right way can still end up compromising even if the underlying tech is pretty solid. So this is what he had to say. Do you know anything about CypherTrace more than just headlines and rumors? Uh, No. I only watched the video of the interview that mm-hmm. they did on uh, Monero Space. Uh, and uh, I read uh, basically the same articles as everyone else. So I don't have any mm-hmm. uh, extra information for you, mm-hmm. but I do have an opinion. Okay. I'd love to hear your opinion. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, first of all, I was, of course, uh, a little bit, uh, let's say, Mm, not sad, but uh, disappointed, let's say, mm-hmm. that this actual topic did not receive a follow-up or at least more in-depth technical discussion uh, because uh, it was kind of funny because this company claimed that they aim to help Monero get listed on exchanges. Uh, but uh, if you are there to help Monero, then kind of bring bring some technical guys to explain how this works. On the mm-hmm. other side, Monero did bring the big guns uh, mm-hmm. that they have, uh, and it was a little bit mismatched uh, in this regard. Yeah, uh, I don't know if it happened, you know, if it was planned or not. I don't want to speculate how it happened, but th- that's what this interview was a little bit disappointing mm-hmm. in this bit. My general opinion is that. Um, you have attacks on almost any uh, cryptocurrency that you can mount. Mm -hmm. And uh, most of these would be kind of uh, targeted. Basically, you have to know what you're looking for, what you're doing. And uh, the CEO of uh, that company actually confirmed it because he said, yes, if you just give us a random transaction out of the context, we will not be able to do 
match with, with, with it. Mm -hmm. So basically, there, this brings us to two, uh, two, let's say, points that I would like to make. The first point is I don't think any Monero users should be too concerned. Like in, in, it's not, there was no evidence of any serious, let's say, problem in, in the Monero protocol, not from that conversation, that's for sure, right? So I, I wouldn't be too concerned about that. However, this brings us to the second point, which is the behavioral part of privacy. It's no use to have safe door at your house if you're not looking, mm -hmm. right? And this is actually very important. Why? Because people, uh, th this is the weak, like the technology is not the weak spot here in this specific case. The weak spot here is people behavior with this technology. And uh, one of the things that uh, were mentioned in that specific interview was uh, the concept of uh, OPSEC, operational security. And it's the basic concept not specific to cryptocurrency in any way. Any company or financial organization today have its department that's only you know goal is to provide this operational security. And operational security means not only that you store your keys safely, but also that you use uh, addresses correctly and that you avoid KYC where you know where, where it needs to be avoided. And you think about who are you sending what and why and from what wallet and, and this is basically. Uh, very important stuff because even with the best technology whatever it is maybe it's mimblewimble and maybe it's something else if you are behaving stupidly you will be in problem you'll mm -hmm. be in trouble of course uh yeah it, it's not going to you know so yeah I, ha I have airbags in my car but i don't want to test them too often right <laughs> of course it, it's not about that so this is something that uh, i believe uh uh People who are serious about privacy, really serious, uh, it, it's work, right? It's not. Mm -hmm. It's not like. It's not something that you get like that. That's my opinion on this subject. Yeah. Now I heard, you know, rumor, and I've sort of paid more attention to Monero over the years, and remembering when, for example, they first introduced mandatory mix-ins. Whereas before you could have a zero mix in transaction when they changed the ring size, when they went to bulletproofs and all that. And uh, of course, each as everything, it's evolutionary. You get improvements with each step. But so the rumor I heard um, surrounding the whole Cybertrace issue was that uh, modern Monero transactions could be very difficult to trace. Now, ones that were constructed several years ago might you know still be there and you might be a lot e might be a lot easier to go uncover that is that something that's uh, i guess realistic to believe yes i think it's realistic to believe that of course because uh each new evolution uh, step in technology in monero and also in other protocols as well uh, basically improved improved the privacy like bulletproofs for example mm -hmm. uh, which we also use uh, for one specific purpose is uh, something that uh, did not exist uh, a few years ago. Uh, these kind of range proofs, uh, zero knowledge range proofs, were very bulky uh, mm -hmm. and uh, very difficult to use. Uh, bullet proofs uh, were created by Benedict Bunz, uh, who had a lot of great uh, inventions and uh, uh, over over these years. And this is like one of them. They allow you to basically use this very compact 
and uh, easy to verify uh, zero knowledge proof. We use it for the range proof that our UTXO size is positive because if you can create negative UTXOs, you can uh, uh, do all kinds of scams and break, break uh, the protocol, but uh, uh, whatever. So it's, it's very safe uh, and very compact devices. So definitely new Monero transactions, I believe are, are more safer. And But this brings us to the problem of what you actually keep on chain. Mm -hmm. And I'm actually very glad that we started with Mimblewimble, where from the very beginning of Beam, the information that is uh, stored on chain is minimal. And uh, we, we never, like, we, we don't plan to, to increase that information regarding the transactions anytime soon, because this mm -hmm. is exactly the, the problem that when something is kept for all eternity and you can go, for example, I don't know, maybe at some point you, you manage to break something or you find some bug in some implementation. Mm -hmm. And now you have all this abundance of historical information to dig from. So the less information you keep on chain is, for my opinion, obviously better. And the reason that's why we don't keep addresses on chain. We only keep like encrypted amounts. So even if you are able to decrypt uh, historically Mimblewimble uh, blockchain, you will not be able to gain much information other than the amount of uh, money that changed hands. You would, wouldn't know who sent it, why he sent it or whatever. And finally, David Campbell of the Electric Coin Company seems to echo a lot of what the other experts had to say, except he did add that the underlying architecture of Monero does kind of end up making it more susceptible to these sorts of attacks. So this is what he had to say. Yeah, so my perspective on this is, is basically informed by the fact that I know Dave Jevons personally, mm -hmm. uh, the CEO founder at Cypher Trace. He and I worked together years ago when I was the chief security officer for a cloud email company called SendGrid. Uh, Dave was the chair of an organization called the Anti-Phishing Working Group. And I worked as part of that organization essentially to try to keep threat actors, fraudsters, scammers, and criminals off of our platform. Mm -hmm. uh, and Dave was early in terms of identifying threat actor behavior and being able to track it on Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. uh, he, was, he was one of the first people uh, in the, the, the sort of uh, compliance regulatory slash law enforcement arena to recognize where things were headed with Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. So I have a lot of respect for Dave's perspective. Uh, I also know Justin uh, mm -hmm. from the Monero community, and I have a lot of respect for all the hard work that he and Sarang, Mitchell, and others have put into Monero. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I use Monero. I like Monero. Um, that said, I do believe that the underlying cryptographic techniques, the underlying uh, privacy model of Monero is such that it lends itself to the type of analysis that CypherTrace and presumably Chainalysis and others are performing, mm -hmm. uh, which I think... And I watched the, the video that Dave Jevons did with Justin and Sarang on YouTube mm -hmm. talking about this, this disclosure and... Uh, talking in broad strokes ar around what the capability is. And I think the takeaway I got from that was that if you've got really strong OPSEC, mm -hmm. it's possible to use Monero securely, despite the fact that tools like those developed by CypherTrace exist. And I think that's, that's probably spot on. Uh, it's been my experience working in the cybersecurity industry that law enforcement tends to catch who they can catch, uh, and who they can catch tend to be people that are sloppy with operational security. Yeah, uh, and I think we'll we'll see that pattern play out uh, on the blockchain, just as we have in in traditional finance. Thanks so much for listening. 
If you enjoyed the podcast, subscribe so you don't miss an episode, and donate to support the show by going to my Cointree page. That's cointr.ee slash thedesertlinks. And leave a message with your donation. Check out the show's sponsors. Protect your privacy online with NordVPN. Avoid content censorship with Library. Live on crypto with BitRefill. Get paid to search with PreSearch. All links are in the show notes.